in Austin, Texas. Welcome to WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canaan. Today we're going to talk about the epidemic of gun violence and mass shootings in the U.S. We'll talk with a leader in the group Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And I'm sure you have a lot of questions and suggestions for making things better. So we will take your calls. And in the first part of the show, we're going to speak with a scientist who is working to cure a devastating disease that's killing lots of corals in Florida and beyond. And and I want to tell you the number if you want to call in to get into queue to talk about these topics. The number is 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. That is 0885. First, here's a comment that was left by a listener about my last show. And uh, one of the topics relates to today's show as well. We talked then about migrants and how arrests of non-criminal undocumented immigrants have been on the rise. So here's one listener's quick response to a caller who was criticizing migrants. This is Mike in Tampa. In reference to the caller who called Monday and said that people come here for economic reasons and not because they're oppressed. Obviously, he doesn't consider economic oppression to be oppression, which it is. And he doesn't consider poverty to be oppression, which it is. He talks about our social programs are so good here, that's where they come. What good are the social programs here when Social Security pay seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month and it costs over a thousand dollars a month to rent the average apartment? Also, uh, I receive uh, seventy three dollars a month in food stamps which is nearly enough to cover my food bill. Well, that was a listener commenting about last week's show, which is on our website, WMNF.org. Later in the broadcast, I'll give out the number for you to leave a voicemail about today's show. You can always listen to previous shows and comment on the stories on our website. You can join us at Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WMNF News. Well, right now, we're, um, I want to remind you that later on in the show, we are going to talk about what to do about mass gun violence in the United States, and we'll hear President Trump's solutions that he proposed this this morning, so I hope you stay with us. Our first topic deals with a devastating disease that's affecting corals. It was first noticed in Florida and is spread throughout most of the state's coral reefs and beyond. Our guest is a scientist who is part of a team that's trying to slow the spread of this coral disease. Kevin Andrew McCauley is a researcher with Nova Southeastern University in South Florida. He's based in the Florida Keys. And welcome to WMNF's Midpoint, Kevin. Hey. Thanks very much for having me with you today. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, for people who have not heard of stony coral tissue loss disease, what is it and how and where did it begin? Well, unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of folks haven't heard of it yet. Um, it is a pretty new phenomenon. Uh, it began here uh, in South Florida about four years ago. Uh, we still don't have an exact location as to where it started. It's pretty tough to trace those things back to their origins. Um, but it is a new disease, and it is pretty dramatic. It does have a very high mortality rate, about 90% or so for the species that it affects. And uh, it has been moving very swiftly throughout the Florida Keys over the last few years. And you mentioned the 90% mortality for the species that it affects. Some species are affected very heavily, as you mentioned, but then there are some that are not affected at all? 
there are a handful of species that do not seem to be affected by this, at least yet. Uh, of course, those things can always change, and bacteria are great at adapting to whatever environments they're in. But currently, about just over half of the species of corals that we have here are affected. And the real scary part of it is that the species that are affected are what's known as reef-building corals. So they actually form the foundations of the reef, and if those can't continue to build, then nothing else really can on top of them either. And oftentimes the reef building corals are the ones that are the oldest and and to translate that would mean to, they'll take the longest to recover. That's absolutely correct. Yes, uh, especially down here in the middle keys. Uh, I'm actually out on the water today out at Lukey and uh, some of these coral heads are hundreds if not thousands of years old and 10, 15, 20 feet tall and it is it is quite heartbreaking to see them suffering this way. So you mentioned that you're out on the water, and you told me over the weekend that you're going, you were going to be applying a treatment to the corals out on the water this morning. Um, tell us, what, what, what are you doing to these corals to help treat them from the disease? Well, so our methods right now are quite labor-intensive, to be honest with you. Um, and back maybe to your original question a little bit, we don't actually have a hard identification on the pathogen just yet. Uh, three or four years into this, we are still trying to suss out exactly what it is causing this, but we do have some really good evidence showing that it is bacteria. Uh, so they, the, tr- the corals are responding very well to an amoxicillin treatment, an antibacterial treatment. So we mix this stuff up uh, with a proprietary uh, blend that a company called CoralRx has made for us, and that just essentially mimics coral mucus. So we can apply the amoxicillin in that mixture to the coral by hand uh, on the disease margin. So you see the sick tissue and you cover it up with the antibiotic, and it is quite labor-intensive to treat every coral in the ocean by hand. Yeah, and that's something you're not going to be able to do is to treat every single coral. But what about the corals that you have treated? About how long ago did you start and how quickly did you see results and what kind of results are you getting? Yeah, so this project really got into full swing in about January of this year. It's really taken us this long to kind of test out what was going to be effective and the best ways to apply things. So we didn't really get this particular project going until January. And we've tried a few different methods even since then, but with our amoxicillin treatments on certain species, we're seeing somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% success rates, which is extremely encouraging to be sure. But as we just mentioned, the labor-intensive side of this is prohibitive for treating the entire reef this way. So we're definitely still working towards new treatments and finding different ways to be able to apply or distribute this stuff to the reef uh, that won't affect the rest of the reef. So one of the big concerns is getting amoxicillin into the food chain. We obviously don't want unintended creatures picking this stuff up, such as the fish that we might like to eat. So it's a fine line between how much we can get out there at a time and how specific you need to be to the coral. And you broke up a little bit during that last statement, but I think what you were trying to say or, you know, what you were, were trying to communicate there was that if you uh, give, if you put this this penicillin, I'm sorry, this uh, amoxicillin, which is a type of antibacterial, if you put it all throughout the reef system, then it'll get in places like fish that people eat that you don't want it, kind of like how they, there's so much antibiotics in a lot of farm animals. I mean, that's a rough analogy there. A rough analogy, but a a pretty good one. That holds up pretty well. That is definitely a major concern. Um, You know, this is one of the major fishing capitals of the world down here in the Keys, and we certainly want to do everything we can do to preserve the integrity of the fish stock down here while, while doing everything we can do to improve the health of the reef. Our guest is Kevin Andrew McCauley. He's a researcher with Nova Southeastern University, and he is applying an antibiotic uh, ointment or, or mixture to some corals who have been diseased, and they're getting as much as 80% success rate in some of these uh, corals that they've treated by hand. 
And uh, we're talking to him from Lou Key. He's, he's actually in the Florida Keys on the reef track right now. And you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa, WMNF.org. It's 1214 in the afternoon. Well, tell us about the spread of, of this disease. It started near a dredging project in Miami. That was the first time it was noticed a few years ago. And then how did it spread and where did it spread from there? That's correct. Uh, so it does appear to be waterborne, which means that it doesn't need an animal vector. A fish doesn't have to pick it up and then go touch a coral. It is actually just present in the water column. Um, so that has actually allowed it to spread shockingly and scarily quickly throughout the seas. It has followed the currents around down here. And in just a matter of about three years, it made it all the way from Miami, about 140 miles away, to Key West. And just in the last few months, we've actually get, been getting reports of it popping up elsewhere in the Caribbean. Uh, again, because it's waterborne, it is quite easy to take it around the world in ballast water and ships of all kinds. So our original goal was to hope to contain it to the reef track here. Uh, but now our, our new set of goals is to try and prepare the rest of the Caribbean for a little bit better than we were. And you had some researchers there from around the Caribbean recently to talk about uh, uh, how to stop the spread or how to, to, to pr protect corals from spreading. What's the furthest away from Miami, I guess, that this disease has spread? Um, that's a great question. Uh, reports from other countries can be kind of anecdotal. Uh, they aren't always dove as frequently as our reefs are dove, and the folks down there looking at them might not always have the expertise. And because this is a brand-new disease, uh, not everybody's going to know what they're looking for. Uh, but we do have pretty widespread reports of it at this point. Uh, as far south as Belize, it's made it. It's out uh, in Jamaica. We have some reports there, the Virgin Islands, St. Croix, Turks and Caicos as well. So unfortunately, it is rather quickly making its way around the Caribbean. And that is another aspect of this disease that makes it so unique. Most coral diseases take quite a while to spread, as you know, the corals aren't moving around, spreading it to each other. So generally a disease, you have a little bit of time to figure out what's going on and deal with it. This one's moving very quickly. And also, it's a little bit different from most coral diseases. Uh, most diseases of all kinds tend to slow down in colder weathers. Uh, that does not seem to slow this one down at all. So it's just had a steady march for about three years. And since you mentioned the weather, what are some of the stressors in general that are affecting our coral reefs in Florida, and and uh, how does this disease stack up against those other uh, those other stressors? Great question. So the corals have been under all kinds of stress for decades now, and I think we're all pretty familiar with most of the, the problems they have here. Obviously, agricultural runoff is a big one down here in Florida. Um, warm weather, ocean acidification is certainly a problem as well. So the corals have already been stressed, and because of that, all those contributing factors probably played a part in this spreading so quickly. A stressed population is going to be able to spread a disease far quicker than a healthy population is. So because they were already at a tipping point, this has really been able to take a very strong foothold and move at a pace no one in the science community has really ever seen before. This is certainly unprecedented in, in both the scale and the pace that it's moving. I guess on my show last year, coral disease researcher Greta Aby called this one of the most extensive coral disease outbreaks ever. Does that stand up to what you're finding as well? I'd say that is 100% accurate, and it is getting more extensive every day, unfortunately. And another researcher I've had on, William Precht, said that nearly all individuals from certain species have died from this disease. That means the disease is essentially causing the local extinction of some species um, in, in some areas. Have you seen what would be considered nearly local extinction of some species? 
Unfortunately, I have uh, witnessed that firsthand. Uh, my crew and I started this project up closer to Miami, as you know, that was the beginning of the disease, so we wanted to start there. And unfortunately, coral reefs in the Key Largo area, really anywhere north of Marathon in the Middle Keys, are pretty barren at this point. In fact, there are definitely some species that I think we could officially label locally extinct up there. Um, those reefs in general have just, the, the disease has been there long enough, but it's really done all the damage it's going to do, and there is unfortunately a very, very low coral cover up there anymore in the northern Keys. Well, after all that bad news, I just want to remind people that the reason we are doing this interview is because you have had good results in stopping the this the spread of this coral disease, at least on hand-treated corals that you've been applying this this uh, this antibiotic to. And uh, our guest is Kevin Andrew McCauley, researcher with Nova Southeastern University, and he's in Lou Key right now in the Florida Keys. And you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. Uh, and if people are out, happen to go out diving in some of the areas where, in the, if they go to the Florida Keys, for example, and go diving, they may see some of the tags that you've put on treated corals. What do those tags look like, and how can they help you to monitor the success of, of your treatments? Absolutely, another great question. Um, because this is still really the beginning phases of us figuring out how to properly deal with this disease, we are definitely still trying out new methods and uh, new ways of applying the treatments, new new ointments entirely. So we're still kind of in a trial error scientific phase of this, and because of the scale of it, there's really no way for a handful of us scientists to get back and monitor the 2,000 or so portals we've treated thus far. So we're really calling on some citizen science engagement here to get the community involved and help us out. So all of the corals that we have treated throughout the Keys, we have placed a about a three-inch yellow cow tag next to them. And these tags are all numbered with the coral number, and they have a website on that tag as well. So if you are out in Florida Keys, lucky enough to be snorkeling or diving here, and you happen across a bright yellow cow tag on pinned onto the bottom of the ocean, we please ask you to go take some pictures of it and the colony that it's tagging, and then upload those photos to the website. That way we can check on these corals over time and see if these treatments are more effective, less effective, or tweak our methods some. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on WMNF's Midpoint Monday, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate you talking about this. All right. Thanks so much. Kevin Andrew McCauley is a researcher with Nova Southeastern University, and you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. We're going to talk about gun violence in the U.S. next. I want you to stay with us after this short music break from Bob Marley. 813-239-9663 if you'd like to join the conversation. Above the falling rain I feel so good 
Welcome back to WMNF's Midpoint Monday. I'm Sean Canan, the host of Midpoint Monday. It's 1222 in the afternoon, and we're going to talk now about gun violence in the U.S. We're going to continue the conversation that was happening on Democracy Now! this morning and happened on Rob's show last hour. Uh, In less than 24 hours, 30 people have been killed and about 50 were wounded in two mass shootings in different parts of the country over the weekend. 20 people were killed, 21 that is, people were killed when a gunman opened fire in an El Paso, Texas shopping area, and nine more died when a gunman wearing body armor opened fire in a popular nightlife area in Dayton, Ohio. Now, the president has just spoken about this uh, this uh, this morning, and we'll hear what the president had to say. I also wanted to say that in, in the El Paso shooting, that happened at a Walmart and in a shopping mall, and the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office says that they arrested a man yesterday for calling the Gibsonton Walmart to say he would be at the store in five minutes and, and was going to shoot up your store. Deputies determined the threat was unfounded. They investigated and arrested Wayne Lee Paget of Valrico on the felony charge of false report of using a firearm in a violent manner. The Sheriff's Office said no firearms were located at Paget's home. He's unemployed and has no criminal history. Well, let's go. Let's turn now to the president's speech. And uh, he spoke this morning for about seven or eight minutes. And uh, in contrast to the sober tone that he took, he in previous um, speeches, he had been a lot more vocal. Um, But today he had a very sober tone. And you'll hear that uh, from the president. Here's President Donald Trump, what he had to say about the mass shootings. And we'll take your calls. The number is 813-239-9663. I want to thank the many law enforcement personnel who responded to these atrocities with the extraordinary grace and courage of American heroes. I have spoken with Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, as well as Mayor DeMargo of El Paso, Texas, and Mayor Nan Whaley of Dayton, Ohio, to express our profound sadness and unfailing support. Today, we also send the condolences of our nation to President Obrador of Mexico and all the people of Mexico for the loss of their citizens in the El Paso shooting. Terrible, terrible thing. I have also been in close contact with Attorney General Barr and FBI Director Ray. Federal authorities are on the ground. And I have directed them to provide any and all assistance required, whatever is needed. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. We have asked the FBI to identify all further resources they need to investigate and disrupt hate crimes and domestic terrorism, whatever they need. We must recognize that the Internet has provided a dangerous avenue to radicalize disturbed minds and perform demented acts. 
We must shine light on the dark recesses of the Internet and stop mass murders before they start. The Internet, likewise, is used for human trafficking, illegal drug distribution, and so many other heinous crimes. The perils of the Internet and social media cannot be ignored, and they will not be ignored. In the two decades since Columbine, our nation has watched with rising horror and dread as one mass shooting has followed another over and over again, decade after decade. We cannot allow ourselves to feel powerless. We can and will stop this evil contagion. In that task, we must honor the sacred memory of those we have lost by acting as one people. Open wounds cannot heal if we are divided. We must seek real bipartisan solutions. We have to do that in a bipartisan manner that will truly make America safer and better for all. First, we must do a better job of identifying and acting on early warning signs. I am directing the Department of Justice to work in partisan partnership with local, state, and federal agencies, as well as social media companies to develop tools that can detect mass shooters before they strike. As an example, the monster in the Parkland High School in Florida had many red flags against him, and yet nobody took decisive action. Nobody did anything. Why not? Second, we must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. It is too easy today for troubled youth to surround themselves with a culture that celebrates violence. We must stop or substantially reduce this, and it has to begin immediately. Cultural change is hard. But each of us can choose to build a culture that celebrates the inherent worth and dignity of every human life. That's what we have to do. Third, we must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who may commit acts of violence and make sure those people not only get treatment, but when necessary, involuntary confinement. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Fourth, we must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and that if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. That is why I have called for red flag laws, also known as extreme risk protection orders. Today, I'm also directing the Department of Justice to propose legislation ensuring that those who commit hate crimes and mass murders face the death penalty and that this capital punishment be delivered quickly, decisively, and without years of needless delay. These are just a few of the areas of cooperation that we can pursue. I am open and ready to listen and discuss all ideas that will actually work and make a very big difference. Republicans and Democrats have proven that we can join together in a bipartisan fashion to address this plague. 
Last year, we enacted the Stop School Violence and Fix NICS Acts into law, providing grants to improve school safety and strengthening critical background checks for firearm purchases. At my direction, the Department of Justice banned bump stocks. Last year, we prosecuted a record number of firearms offenses. But there is so much more that we have to do. Now is the time to set destructive partisanship aside, so destructive, and find the courage to answer hatred with unity, devotion, and love. Our future is in our control. America will rise to the challenge. We will always have, and we always will, win. The choice is ours, and ours alone. It is not up to mentally ill monsters, it is up to us. If we are able to pass great legislation after all of these years, we will ensure that those who were attacked will not have died in vain. May God bless the memory of those who perished in Toledo. And may God protect them. May God protect all of those from Texas to Ohio. May God bless the victims and their families. May God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was President Donald Trump speaking this morning, and he's taken a lot of uh, heat for saying Toledo at the end there. Uh, but you know, let's talk about the substance of what he was what he was mentioning, and we'll get to our guest in just a second. I want to let you know that there is a vigil tonight in St. Petersburg. It's hosted by the Women's March Florida and Florida Public Services Union. The Tampa Bay Against Gun Violence vigil starts at eight tonight in downtown's Williams Park. That's at three fifty Second Avenue North, and the. Um, um, so we'll talk about this speech and we'll talk about everything else that you wanted to mention. If you want to give us a call, 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, text 813-433-0885. It's 12.32 in the afternoon. My name is Sean Canan. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday. We're going to bring our guest on in just a second. I want to read an email or two that are stacking up. Uh, text the, This text from the 813 area code that's not signed says, Trump's speech has the touch of Stephen Miller, UG is what this person says. So what do you think? Well, let's bring in our guest to talk about the speech and about the, the tragedies that have happened over the weekend. Joining us now on the phone is Kelly Moore. She's with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Welcome to WMNF's Midpoint, Kelly. Thanks, Sean. I'm so glad you're joining us. So what did you think about what the president said? Uh, I have a lot of reactions, and some of them are very positive, um, some of them less so. Um, but let's talk about the good things he said in there. I mean, he said, we want to take action. Great. The majority of Americans agree there. Absolutely necessary. And Congress and uh, the executive branch have held us up too long on that. So fantastic. He talked about warning signs. Um, and that is something that there is a lot of data about that um, we can pass laws uh, for people who exhibit warning signs um, and to keep them temporarily away from firearms to keep our communities and our families safe. Um, he said he supports bipartisanship in this work. Uh, so do I. So does my organization, Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. These are all great things. Um, some of the less good things he said, though, are that this is a mental illness problem. That is just factually incorrect. Um, now, I'm not disputing that it is um, there's something wrong 
with folks to go out and do mass shootings. But the truth of the matter is the facts tell us that uh, folks with mental illness are actually much more likely to be victims of gun violence than perpetrators of it. And the in in his speech, Trump said that he that he talked at this, about it, this manifesto of racist hate that he condemns racism and that the America should condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy, and these ideas must be defeated. How do you think um, our country, and maybe I should be more specific, how do you think the president is doing when it comes to defeating white supremacy and racist hate? Well, I think those words are important. But I also think that the president undercuts his own message in in the same day that he delivers this speech. Um, He's been on Twitter today talking about passing background checks but linking it with stronger immigration reform, two issues that are not linked and that uh, point to his uh, need to make uh, issues that are divisive, that are about identity, uh, part of every conversation. So I think there's still a lot of work to do there. Yeah, and during his speech, I think people were waiting to hear the details of what he was talking about when he mentioned that pinning those earlier, but then he didn't, I don't, my, I don't recall him bringing up um, immigration reform during that speech. So I don't know if his speechwriter um, was trying to get out a different message there. <laughs> I um, hope so. Well, our guest is Kelly Moore. She's with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And we're talking about the two mass shootings, the two major deadly mass shootings that happened over the weekend, one in El Paso, Texas, and the other in Ohio. And there were a total now of 30 people that have been killed in those two mass shootings. And as we heard at the top of the hour, that there's been on average about a mass shooting every single day this year in the U.S. So it's obviously it's a problem that the country needs to deal with better. And so that's what we're going to ask you what what are some i'm asking our listeners now if they have ideas for how do we do how do we confront this what do we do better and of course our guest kelly is is also talking about this as well but why don't we take a a phone call since so many people want to talk about this daryl's been holding a long time hi daryl what would you like to say hey how you doing i'm good how are you i would like to say i heard the president's speech this morning which was really a joke because uh let me once again and i said this three years ago america especially in this region. Welcome to the world of Donald Trump. This is classic Donald Trump. Uh, What you saw is private citizen Trump. Now you're seeing his public citizen Trump. And by the way, let me say this. This is not a mental health issue. We're talking about white supremacy. If, let me put it to you this way. If Al-Qaeda or ISIS or Boko Haram would have uh, committed atrocities like this, uh, we would not be calling it mental mental health mental health uh, a problem or issue. We would be calling it terrorism, and it needs to be handled just like that. I saw a gentleman on MSNBC, middle-aged white gentleman, yesterday talk when they were bringing this up. He defended Donald Trump that you cannot connect his rhetoric with what's going on today. Yes, you can. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, what, what needs to happen? Maybe if there's a mass shooting at a NFL football game or maybe at um, the University of Florida homecoming, then people will wake up and we'll stop Counting out statistics and, and meaningless numbers 
and those are real people that are down on the ground. I'm not going to even bring up the fact in this speech. Where did where did you get Toledo from that you want to put in the speech? I mean, I would give, I'll put it to you this way now, I will stop. I will give the speechwriter a C minus, and I will give Donald Trump, you, that's not the real Donald Trump. The real Donald Trump that you're going to hear is at his next bun rally. That's the real Donald Trump that you're going to hear. This sounds like what one person said, a five-year-old or a ten-year-old who was made to give an apologetic speech that he really did not want to make. All right, thank you for those thoughts, Daryl. We're going to move on. Um, 813-239-9663 is the number to call in. Our guest is Kelly Moore. She's with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Kelly, why don't you just uh, remind people, what is your group and when was it founded? Yeah. Uh, my group is uh, an organization of volunteers uh, that organizes for common sense gun reform. Uh, it was founded in the wake of the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012. Um, and uh, the idea is that we need to bring people together for things that save lives that the vast majority of Americans agree on. Background checks, red flag laws, disarming domestic abusers, really simple things that cut across the aisle and that save lives. And after Sandy Hook, a lot of people said this is the moment that, you know, this is the turning point for this discussion. And now people will take it seriously. And then years later, they point to Sandy Hook, where if, you know, nothing really substantially changed after Sandy Hook. So maybe there's nothing that will get our attention. Daryl was suggesting um, some horrible things that, that might get our attention. What I thought might might do it if, it, if shooting up in elementary school didn't do it with Sandy Hook, I thought, well, maybe if it happens to Congress, well, that didn't even do it because there was that shooting at the softball game with members of Congress and still nothing changed on the federal level when it came to serious, serious gun reform. I'm going to take issue with that a little bit because, um, listen, change is hard. Change is slow. Um, We have a very entrenched gun culture in America, but things are changing. We elected a gun sense majority to Congress, to the House in 2018, and the House of Representatives passed H.R. 8, which is a comprehensive background check bill, in February, one of the very first bills passed. Um, and it was the first significant gun legislation passed out of either chamber in over 25 years. So um, I know people want to see dramatic action. I want to see dramatic action. But I'm happy to say that things are changing. In Florida, in Florida, a state with very entrenched gun interests, we got red, a, red, a state-level red flag law passed last year. So, I mean... Things happen, not as fast as any of us would like. And if things move faster, we could save lives. I want Congress to act. But I do think that we shouldn't despair, and we should recognize that there is a sea change happening, and we're seeing it next to this country. And the red flag law, just to remind people, is what Donald Trump was talking about. When there's someone who's a danger to themselves or a danger to the community, their weapons get taken away after due process. Correct. Um, they get taken. They may get taken away on an emergency basis, um, or after a full hearing. But to um, keep an order in place that uh, keeps people away from their firearms when they're a danger to themselves or others, it's a very extensive due process situation. It's been employed a lot here in Tampa Bay, over 200 times in Pinellas County, and I firmly believe that it has saved lives. And you mentioned HR 8, which passed the House. How is that faring in the Senate? It's languishing in the Senate. Mitch McConnell refuses to bring it up for a vote. Um, Senate Republicans uh, are in support of Mitch McConnell on this. Um, There is a counterpart in the Senate that uh, 
was could be brought up today um, if Mitch McConnell would allow it. Um, and so I would like to see Congress come back from recess and take this up. Um, we could call a special session. We need to put the pressure on Mitch and the Senate Republicans to hear this issue. Over 90% of Americans agree with background checks. There's almost no issue that more people support. We need to get this passed at a federal level. Our guest is Kelly Moore with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. You're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa, WMNF.org. It's 1242 in the afternoon. My name is Sean Canan. You're listening to Midpoint Monday, and we're taking your comments, 813-239-9663. You can email us, dj at WMNF.org, or text 813-433-0885. We've had Reverend McKenzie holding for a while, so let's hear what you have to say. Is this Reverend Charles McKenzie? It is. Go ahead, please. Yeah, real quick. I'm going to go through this, and then I'm going to shut up. Uh, in response to Trump's speech, I think he's the grandest hypocrite, uh, perhaps even schizophrenic. It's like Hitler giving an anti-Semitic speech. Uh, this guy flips on a dime, and no cleverly crafted speech prior to an election to try to win over suburban voters is going to make us feel he's genuine. His rhetoric, demonizing people of color, demonizing immigrants, He's a demagogue. He said he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. He's correct, because I think every cell in his body is infested with racism. We might even be stretching the parameters of what is considered human when we look at Trump and his behavior. The silence of hypocrites like Copeland and White and Jakes and Crepto Dollar, these are supposed to be preachers who are supposed to be leading the nation. And right, They have been totally silent, and their silence is complicity. He is the greatest divider on the national and global stage that we've seen in modern times. And I think the blood is dripping from his hand. It's time for the Democratic Congress to have backbone and impeach this monster. He does not get a pass. Thank you for those thoughts, Reverend McKenzie. Appreciate you calling in. Um, Adam Willis writes in, the statement by Trump is so hollow, the fact that he can sit there with a straight face and talk about how hate consumes you and is bad when he literally is preaching hate at his rallies is peak crazy. And if we have time in the next 16 minutes or so, I, I could play a minute from one of his rallies recently. Um, but I want to turn to uh, Kelly Moore with Moms Demand Action to just respond to the last couple of comments we've gotten the, from Reverend McKenzie on the phone and then from Adam on Cyberspace talking about how Trump is, you know, in their opinion, he's tr talking out of both sides of his mouth. Is that something that we should be, um, you know, dwelling on? Or, or we sh is our, are there other ways to move forward? Well, I mean, two things. To, to get stronger gun laws in this country, we're going to need bipartisanship. So it, I'm always hesitant to reject somebody who's going to get us there. But I, I do fully agree with all the callers, all the callers so far, who have said that white supremacy is a huge problem in this country. It absolutely is. But the thing is, white supremacy isn't a U.S. problem. It's a problem in a lot of parts of the world. But we don't see it becoming so deadly in other parts of the world. We only see it being this deadly in the United States, and that's because it's white supremacy coupled with easy access to guns. 
813-239-9663 if you'd like to join this conversation. Kevin writes, our country is more about gun rights than human rights. And he goes on to say, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are infringed upon by gun rights. And that means our rights are secondary to gun rights. And that makes me think of, of course, the Second Amendment. And it's been sacrosanct. It's been strengthened. Uh, Scalia famously uh, was part of the majority that, that really backed up the Second Amendment specifically applying to the individual's rights to own a gun. Um, and, and this is just kind of built and built and built. And yet you think that there's some way to kind of balance that and to bring it back down where, where people's rights to not be, not be a victim of gun violence might have some sort of weight when it comes to an absolute right to own any gun you want. I don't believe there's an absolute right to own any gun you want, and nor does the Supreme Court. I mean, the, the Supreme Court in the decision you referenced, the Heller case, also says that gun rights are, uh, are not unlimited, and there can be common-sense restrictions on gun ownership. And I 100% agree with that and think we should enact those common-sense restrictions. Um, I think we can do a lot of things to make our country safer without banning individual ownership of guns, though. So I think that the thing we need to be working towards are those steps that fall short of uh, prohibiting gun ownership, but um, keep our citizens, our families, our children safe at home, in school, in public places. We've talked about background checks. What are some of the other things? Um, yeah, I would. I, I mean, we talked about red flag laws too, and I think that that one's really important. Um, one thing I'd like to get into a little bit is that, um, you know, obviously mass shootings right now are top of mind for everybody after the terrible events in Dayton and El Paso this weekend. But 100 Americans die by guns every day in this country, and it does not look like what happened in El Paso. It does not look like what happened in Dayton, by and large. It looks like city gun violence. It looks like um, gun suicide. So um, we, we see these big, these big shootings. They capture our attention. They make us feel unsafe. They make me feel unsafe, but that's only a slice of the problem. And so that's, that's where some of these common sense things they seem maybe not to be as responsive to mass shootings, but they're responsive to the true nature of our gun problem in America. Our guest is Kelly Moore with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And if you'd like to ask a question or state your point of view, give us a call, 813-239-9663. I have some people on the line, so let me uh, talk to who's who's out there. So Tim in Tampa. Hi, Tim. Yeah, I like the. I think all the things you, uh, your guest is talking about is great, however... You know, you can do all the background checks you want. You can do all the mental health testing uh, testing you want. Until that person get a trigger, he can be a sane mind, and the next trigger, a week later, he can be a nut job. You can do all the background checks, and the person is 100% clean. You can have a trigger that this guy become a nut job a week later. We have to get guns off the street. America is, is, is we, we just live this fictitious in this fictitious world, to think a gun solves everything. Why we don't have C4 blowing up, things that are blowing up with C4 all over the United States? Why? Because it's hard to get C4. If we don't take these assault weapons off the street in America, we're not going to solve this problem. No American, no individual other than a person in the military needs an assault weapon. And until we get that into our, our thick skulls that you can't solve everything with an assault weapon, 
we're going to continue to have these problems. So I think all the things she's doing and her group is doing is great. But background checks and mental health checks and all that stuff, you could be, that person could be perfect. And then a month later, a year later, they could be a nut job. So that's my, my opinion here. All right. Thank you, Tim. And I, I think our guest, Kelly, is talking about a suite of issues. And um, for example, uh, to what Tim is talking about, about getting um, assault rifles, for lack of a better term, um, semi-automatic rifles off the streets. Well, the citizens of Florida, or many citizens of Florida, were trying to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot that might do that or might get closer to that. And then the Attorney General of the state, Ashley Moody, said, um, started to challenge that in court. So so our, I'm going to ask our guest, Kelly Moore, with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, what are your thoughts about A.G. Moody's um, move there, and uh, what do you think will ultimately happen when it comes to this referendum. Um, thanks. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I appreciate our last caller bringing that up, too, because um, I completely agree that um, that assault weapons really don't have a place in American society. We support the constitutional amendment that the citizens are trying to get passed, and we're really disappointed in what Attorney General Moody is trying to do to um, take the question out of the hands of Florida citizens, not a not even let us vote on it, um, just preemptively take it away. I think it's very clear be, with the momentum behind the constitutional amendment that's been proposed, as well as polling on a wide range of gun safety issues, that Americans are hungry for action here. We want our lawmakers to do something. And in the face of their inaction, we've taken it into our own hands. And I think that this is something where the citizens are not going to sit idly by and let the decision be made by people who are in the pockets of special interests in the gun lobby. Well, we have a female caller, so I'm going to go on to that. I'm going to bump Catherine in Polk County to the top of the line. So what would you like to say, Catherine? Um, I'm calling from Polk County, and I totally agree with your speaker. Um, there are many things that people can do. Even at the local level, I have a number of friends down in Highlands County that are with the Indivisible Group down there. Apparently, their fairground association down there um, allows uh, a gun show two times a year, and it's right across the street from the one of the high schools in Highlands County. And these people are banding together, trying to discuss this with this not-for-profit fairground association in Highlands County. They're looking for an attorney to help them with that fight. And because it's a local, you know, it's a rural community, you know, they're having a hard time finding it in Highlands County. So if there are any attorneys out there that are interested in helping the indivisible group in Highlands County uh, with this project, it's appreciated. I have a background in public health. We need to be treating this as if it's a public health emergency. And there are many different approaches to... Uh, reducing gun violence in our country, even if we can't get it on the legislative level yet. So I totally agree with the speaker. It's a great program. Catherine, do you know how people can get in touch with the Highlands County Indivisible Group? Do they have a Facebook page? Um, I think so. Um, you know, you know, I think they would just contact, look on Facebook uh, for Highlands County Indivisible. And um, I don't want to give out my number on the air, but um, I think there are ways of contacting them, and they are looking for an attorney to help them with, with them with this project. 
All right. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate that that thought. Let's go on to one more phone call before we go back to our guest, Kelly Moore with Moms Demand Action. Um, let's see, Gary. Gary in Clearwater, you've been holding a while. What's on your mind, Gary? Um, I want to say that time and time again, how many times do we have to put up with this? We have this discussion for many years once, uh, once this um, crisis happens. Let's do something now about it. And also, um, when the president talked this morning, guess what? I want to let everybody know that he did not mention guns. Thank you. All right, thank you. Um, he he did mention. I think uh, he said it, it wasn't the shoot the gun. It was the shooter. I believe that was his only real reference to guns. But he did not say that part of the solution, besides the red flag laws, which which we have talked about a couple of times, uh, he didn't really mention that much. As Gary is pointing out, about um, how do we control the the types of guns that are in our communities? So Kelly, the, your thoughts about. Um, um, let me ask this. Over the weekend, you were actually in Washington, D.C. because you were part of a, a leadership conference with Moms Demand Action. What are the kind? What kinds of things came up there? Um, well, what we're really trying to do is get all the Americans who agree with us on this, this issue, which there are many, because they're the majority, to mobilize on this issue because we're not going to see the kind of change that we need without more people getting involved. So... It was a lot about how we're going to get folks involved. And one way that people can get involved is they can text READY to 64433 to sign up to get information about um, joining Moms Demand Action. Um, they can come to the vigil tonight uh, in St. Petersburg that you mentioned uh, the, in the middle of the segment and uh, find me. I can plug you in. There are lots of things people can do to channel their rage, their anger, their pain, their sadness about um, gun violence in America into action. And again, um, oh, go ahead. I wanted to speak to something that you and the last caller talked about, which is um, that President Trump mentioned that, you know, the person pulls the trigger, not the gun. And I, I, I have to say, I find that offensive because what that really says is that Americans are more violent, more mentally ill, uh, more prone to committing mass shootings as a result of their personalities than any other nation in the world. Because if it was a person problem, um, that's, that's what that would say. But it's not a person problem. We don't have more mental illness. We don't have more bigotry or hatred in this country. We have alarming levels, but not more than other places. What we have are a lot of guns, a lot of guns and easy access to guns. And that is why we have a huge number of mass shootings, um, incredible levels of daily gun violence, and other countries in this world do not. And I could add the high capacity magazines that are available and legal, I guess, legally available. If you saw the photos uh, since since the shooting of this 100 capacity ammunition, 100 bullet capacity magazine, I mean, it's just this giant, two giant cylinders full of bullets that this person apparently had a couple of. Um, I heard that he had 250 rounds that he could just fire off and it had the potential to fire off in a matter of minutes. And then you go back and you remember the, uh, the Las Vegas shooter who had just reams and reams of, mm-hmm. of ammunition, all presumably all obtained legally. That might, might indicate that you have a problem with the laws, that, they're, that the laws might need tweaking if you can just you know, kill dozens and dozens of people at one time with legally obtained ammunition and weaponry. Absolutely, Sean. You know, the police responded in less than a minute to the shooting in Dayton, and there was still a huge number of dead, 
dead victims and casualties there. Um, and that just goes to show that the um, these weapons are designed to kill a lot of people in a short amount of time. And that is, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, high-capacity magazines uh, and assault weapons are fully legal in both Ohio and Texas. Um, and while we can't know if um, restrictions on those would have stopped these incidents, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that there's a link here. Alyssa in Bradenton writes, I'm worried about the language in Trump's speech this morning regarding the Internet and video games, as well as the forced detention of individuals with mental illness. These points smack of authoritarianism, potentially allowing the Trump administration to limit modes of free speech and target undesirable individuals. So thank you for that email, Alyssa. And let's go now in the closing minutes of the show to Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hi. You're on the air. What would you like to say? Um, I'd like to say that I believe that mothers should keep their children home on the first day of school this year. I think it's one way to show the politicians that we demand action. And I can't imagine any mother that wants to send her child to kindergarten. They have to do an active shooter drill. All right, thank you. Is that something that you came up with, or is that something that you've heard from other people as well? Because I hadn't heard that before. It's something that I came up with. Kelly, any thoughts? I mean, I am a mother, and I am incredibly concerned about sending my children to schools, uh, not just because of the risk of things happening to them, but exactly as Alyssa says, we're inflicting a huge amount of trauma on our children by drilling them, uh, you know, month in and month out for the possibility they're going to be killed in their classrooms. It's an absurd way to live. Other places don't live like this. We don't have to live like this. I encourage everybody who feels that way to find actions near them and help us make the change. And we'll go, we'll try to squeeze one more uh, call on the air. Rob from Thanota Sasa, can you make your comment quick? Yes, I can. Um, you know, I, one of the problems is some of the people that support Donald Trump, there's so many of them. I have a friend, he's so deep into that 8chan stuff. It's like you can't even discuss anything with them. If you talk about shooters, they'll make a point that, well, some of these are staged, or this guy used to be a... I heard that the, the guy in El Paso was supposedly a Democrat, but somebody changed his profile to Republican. And just, You know, they're just so far down that rabbit hole that you can't really muster any argument because it's, you know, it's, it's, they're, everyone's misinformed because of the so-called mainstream media, fake news, and all that. So the whole debate breaks down at some point with both sides, you know, Picking their own sources and then using right. excellent, that. excellent point, Rob. I'm sorry to cut you off, I, but we do have to end the show. But I want to thank you so much for joining us today on WMNF's Midpoint Monday, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Kelly Moore is with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And I want to thank everyone who called, emailed, and texted today. If you'd like to leave a voicemail with your thoughts about this show, give me a call at 813 813- 238-8001 extension 114 and I will play your message next show and if you missed any of the show you can watch you can listen to it on our website wmnf.org slash news and you can also join the conversation on Facebook Twitter or Instagram at WMNF News I want to thank our engineers Alvaro Montealegre and Frank Knox I'm Sean Canan tomorrow at noon your hero Mark Bureau will host Midpoint Tuesday stay tuned now for Latino 54 that's coming up after NPR headlines on WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening.